0: Like Brett, probably not on this scale, I think we've all been victims of injustice at some point in our lives. It may be as simple as being unjustly insulted or humiliated in public in some way. Uh, It may be that you've been accused of something that you've never done. It may be that you've even been punished for something that you've never done. I certainly know my kids at school, they've experienced that. Someone else has done something naughty, they've blamed them, they've taken the punishment for it, and you can see the sense of injustice in them. But I know adults as well in the workplace who have been punished for things that they didn't do, that there's been a miscarriage of justice. If you think about your family home, how many disagreements uh, uh, often which are caused by, let's face it, miscommunication, misunderstanding of intent and action. But how often are they blown out of proportion because one person has this sense of injustice. I've been accused of something I didn't do. That was not my intent. So how in that moment do we react? If you move on to the next slide for us. Anger. Anyone ever felt that, with that sense of injustice? It's almost, I think this is one of the most emotive things that a human experiences, injustice, because the emotions come so fast and so thick. You know, that sense of anger, this is wrong. And we get defensive, don't we? We want to defend our actions. We want to defend our integrity and our identity. And if left unchecked, uh, we potentially want revenge as well. We want a pound of flesh. We want to get back at the person who's wronged us. And so maybe in arguments, we say something we shouldn't. Uh, Maybe we have a culture of withholding the things that perhaps we should say and showing kindness. Instead, we withhold that as a form of punishment because we've been wronged. We have, uh, in that moment, a choice of how we respond, and that's what Jesus is speaking into. Uh, let's read the passage. Uh, you'll know it very well. Matthew five thirty-eight to 42. Jesus speaking says, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus here picks up on... A law that's being banded about in first-century Israel, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's I want to suggest a misinterpretation, misapplication of a bit of original law that was given to Moses and the Israelites when their nation was formed. And we'll read it to you. It's from Exodus 21. We'll just take that snippet. Uh, But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound and bruise for bruise. Sounds pretty horrible, doesn't it? Uh, But we've got to be really careful when we pluck a verse out of the Bible. We remove it from its context. I'm not going to read the whole of Exodus chapter 1, but that is exactly what is going on in Jesus' time. This verse has been removed from its context and it is being used to encourage and affirm retribution and vengeance. You've hurt my eye, so now I can take your eye. You've hurt my hand, so now I'll chop your hand off. I'm going to get my own back. But actually, when you read the context of Exodus 21, you'll see that this wasn't given to the people for vengeance. This was actually given to judges to measure justice in a fair way. And the bigger context of Exodus 21 is that it's all about compensation. If you injure me or my servant or my ox, then compensation is due and you pay compensation. But what the law made provision for was that there would be people who don't have the financial means to compensate. There might be injury that is very serious. And so it gave provision to judges to hand out justice in a measured and limited way, saying that if it was a hand that was hurt, then you only hurt the hand. You don't go any further. Because unfortunately, our history tells us that actually, as human beings, if you leave us to our own devices, we want to escalate, don't we? Revenge is never metered in a fair way. You've only got to look at kids for that. You know, my children, one pinches the other, and so he gets a punch in return, and then a full on fight ensues, you know, or a little bit of Lego gets broken, and he'll go and smash up a massive piece of Lego in return. That is unfortunately, the way we are as human beings. I don't think we have a culture of revenge, but I do think we have uh, a human nature of withholding that which we perhaps should be doing to people. We want to get our own back in some way, and to my shame, I actually had a little injustice at work, and in the big scheme of things, it was tiny, insignificant. But yet, on the day when these two guys ended up doing this to me, what happened is irrelevant. But it took me about three hours. I felt so angry. I was going through my head, you know, what would I do differently? This is not right. How can I make this not happen again? And how can I make sure I get justice? And to my shame, I recorded their names. I wrote them down in my phone. And you've got a question, why would I do that? Because I thought one day maybe they might want something from me and I will not give it because that will be justice. Um, Anybody ever thought like that or is it just me? (laughs) Good, I'm glad I'm not alone in this. This is our human nature and this is what Jesus speaks into because Jesus doesn't want us to be defined by the injustices in our lives but he wants us to choose a different path and in doing so become more like our Father in heaven. So, Before we dig into this passage, uh, I'll give you a bit of context. You need to remember who Jesus is speaking to in the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, first century Israel is an occupied land. The Romans have taken over. So the people Jesus is speaking to, they are living under the oppression of Roman rule. They are second class citizens and that is well and truly how they are treated and viewed in public life. But we also know from the Bible that they're living under quite an oppressive religious regime. And you know, that which was intended for good, all of the laws that the Pharisees created, trying to protect God's original law, trying to create a, a society and a culture where God would be pleased to dwell. It was good intent, but it was bad outworking. And Jesus says it's become like a burden upon the people. So Jesus is addressing this crowd who are powerless to do anything about the Roman occupation and the way they're treated. They're powerless to do anything about the religious laws that are imposed on them and the way they suffer under them. So Jesus is talking to some downtrodden people and he is very clever in how he helps them to not be downtrodden any longer. And Unlike me, I've actually forgotten what I was going to say. Yeah, And uh, so the other thing that Jesus does at the start of this passage is he sets the scene for these three examples that you know. And he says, don't resist the evil person. So this is just Jesus acknowledging that actually this stuff that's going on in your culture, it is evil at work. Evil at work in culture, evil at work in people. So let's dig into the three examples, if you can move on to the next slide for us. So the first one I want to call the insult. Uh, it's uh, Jesus says if somebody slaps you on your right cheek. So we need to remember that first century Israel, this hand, your left hand, this is the unclean hand, because you clean certain parts of your body. If you get my meaning, I'll leave it there. Um, this hand is the acceptable hand in public. So this is the hand you greet people with, and this is the hand that you would slap someone with. So to slap someone on their right cheek, requires a backhanded slap across the face. Uh, Jewish law actually says that if somebody slaps you with the back of their hand, it is worth twice the compensation as an open-handed slap. So its intent is not so much to harm, but to insult you. It's reserved for someone who is of a lower standing than you. So a master would slap a slave with the back of his hand, but would slap an equal with the front of his hand, unless he really wanted to insult the guy, in which case he might give him a backhanded slap. A Roman soldier would never slap a Jew with an open hand. It would always be backhanded because they are less than them. They are lesser human beings. So this is intended to really insult you in public. And what Jesus is saying is that when we get insulted, I don't want you to be consumed with anger. I don't want you to take the insult in and let it form your identity. I don't want you to be defined by that. I don't want you to plot your revenge, to store their names away. I don't want you to try and lash out verbally or physically. I want you to choose a different path. I want you to turn the other cheek. And turning the other cheek in this scenario is actually saying to the person, no, I'm not less than you. I'm your equal. And if you want to hit me again, you can call me an equal. You can slap me with your open hand because that's what the left cheek would require. So Jesus is actually really subversive. He's giving them a peaceful way to stand up under the injustice and say, no, this is not okay. And in the process of doing this, the person who who has insulted them now has to consider their actions, and they're the one refusing to say, no, I'm not hitting you again. When we are insulted, Jesus wants us to choose a different path in how we respond. The second example then, along a similar theme, I want to call this the shaming so first century Israel, you have three items of clothing: you have a tunic, a full length gown that 's your normal everyday clothes, and you have a cloak. The cloak is quite expensive. I want you to imagine you live in a house without central heating or log burners or underfloor heating you don't have a nice, comfy feather down duvet to go to bed in at night. Your cloak is what keeps you warm in the day it 's what you sleep under at night it is essential to your existence and of course you have sandals to walk around. Now a wealthy person like you and I will have multiple sets of clothing in their wardrobe but a poor person would have one cloak and he may have two tunics, she may have two tunics and their sandals. The law actually permitted you to take someone's tunic, their undergarment as a pledge, as a promise to do something. That would only happen if it was a poor person and because it's an item of value, of course you're going to do the thing that you've promised to do because you want your tunic back. It's valuable when you are poor. And so Jesus describes this scenario of someone being sued for their tunic, sued for the clothes off their back. Jesus is saying that this is an evil in your culture because this is the wealthy depriving the poor of that which they need to exist. The only reason someone would sue The tunic off of your back is because you're so poor you have nothing else to be sued for. No possessions, no money, and so they're literally taking the clothes off your back. You have a right to be angry. You have a right to want revenge. It is understandable that you would be thinking, How do I stand up under this injustice? How do I defend myself and get right? But Jesus says, No. If you're to be like your Father in heaven, you've got to choose a different path. I want you to offer your cloak as well. So if you started the day with a tunic and a cloak and a pair of sandals, and the tunic's been sued off of you and now you offer your cloak, what are you left wearing? Sandals. Just sandals. It's a nice picture for you on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Just sandals. So you're naked. And actually, in first century Israel, to look upon somebody's nakedness is a very shameful thing to do. So that which was intended to shame you is now you experiencing the shame of looking upon their nakedness. You begging them, please put your cloak back on because I cannot take it. It then becomes my responsibility to get this back to you today. It totally switches it on its head. Jesus is saying, don't... Don't let the anger get to you. Don't accept the shame on your life. It is not yours to bear, but return it to the person who intends to harm you. But you do that with an act of outrageous love and generosity and goodness and kindness to them. The third example then, is I want to call the humiliation. We've adopted the phrase into our Western language, going the extra mile. Uh, The background behind this is that this actually comes from the Persians. The Persians had a courier system where they would obviously try to deliver something and they had stations that were the distance between them meant they could get refreshment in the morning and then again in the evening. And they were permitted to, if they were really weary and couldn't quite get to their the next stop, they were able to enlist the help of a local person who became obliged to give them accommodation, refreshment, food and water. It was intended to be something used only when really needed, but the Romans have now taken over and adopted it into their culture, and the Roman soldiers now use this to keep second-class citizens well and truly in their place, squashed and oppressed. They were allowed to force you to carry their gear for a mile. So. You're a Jew strolling down a dusty road on your way to the equivalent of B&Q or Sainsbury's. It's about a four-hour walk, and you get halfway along, and you find yourself confronted with a a Roman spear pointing at you, saying, you, pick up my stuff and walk. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was commonplace that they always picked on someone going in the opposite direction, just to prove the point. Um, Pick up my stuff, and you're going this way with me. No, it wasn't an option. It was utterly humiliating. And you had to pick up this stuff and you had to walk a mile down the road in a direction you didn't want to go with someone's stuff you didn't want to carry. It's wrong. Jesus is saying that is wrong. That You are more than that. You are not second class. That's how our Father God views us, isn't it? He? he doesn't say you're second class. He says, actually, I'm calling you sons and daughters. I'm calling you royalty. But Jesus says, I don't want you to let the anger get to you. Don't take the humiliation upon yourself. Choose a different path. Don't plot your revenge. When you've finished that humiliating mile, start the next. Keep going. And actually, when you keep going, what you find is this soldier is now coming after you saying, Please put the stuff down. You can't go any further. I can only make you go a mile. Please put the stuff down. And you're like, No, I'm having a great day. I'm just going to keep walking with you. This is good. And he's saying, No, 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 put the stuff down. You can't go any further. Jesus is saying when someone humiliates you like this in public and the anger starts to build and you're thinking, how can I defend myself? This is wrong. How can I make this right? How can I get back at them? What can I withhold from giving to them? Jesus says, no, I want you with joy in your heart and a spring in your step to go further. When someone's forced you to do something that you shouldn't do, when someone has um, humiliated you in some way, Jesus is saying, I want you to take that task and to do it to the very best of your ability, as though your Father in heaven has asked you to do it in person. And don't stop when it's the time runs out. Keep going till it's complete. Keep going to the point where everybody who is laughing at you is now silent because what you do is so remarkably different in this culture. That's what God is asking us to do. He's asking us to choose a different path. You've got to be impressed with the genius of Jesus' wisdom, right? It is amazing because in the face of great personal injustice and evil, Jesus has, with the suggestion of acts of outrageous love and kindness and goodness and grace towards those who don't deserve it, Jesus has just empowered the powerless. He's turned shame on its head. He's taken the sting out of humiliation and the power out of evil. And what he has done in the process is he's stopped them from becoming bitter and twisted people, crushed by oppression, crushed by insults and shame and guilt. And he's set them free to have life in all of its fullness. That's what Jesus wants. Now, We have a choice, don't we, in those moments of injustice, in whatever form they come. We have that choice when the anger starts to build and we feel like we need to defend our rights um, Jesus is saying, you can actually take captive those thoughts and those feelings, and you can choose a different path. You can choose to love the person who hates you, to serve the one who is trying to harm you, to do something good, to bless them, to encourage them. If they insult you, speak words of affirmation over them, choose a different path. It is so countercultural. Now, don't take me uh, wrong, I, Jesus is not saying here that we don't stand up for injustice. That's not what he's saying. Uh, it says in, on the next slide, have I got it on there? Yeah, um, Isaiah 117 says, Do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. That is saying that we stand up for those who have no voice. We stand up for those who cannot stand, and Christians lead the way in doing this. And so we should, and we should continue to do so. But what Jesus is saying is there's a big difference between standing up for those who cannot stand for themselves, lobbying MPs, signing petitions, speaking out where someone else is unable to. There's a big difference between doing that and how we respond when we are the victims of injustice. That is what Jesus is asking us to do differently. And be encouraged as well, because Jesus isn't condemning our feelings. He's not saying the fact that you feel angry is wrong. That's not what he's saying. That anger is probably there for a right and good reason. He's made us this way. But he is saying, I want you to choose a different path. And there's a good reason for him doing that. Because in the process of us putting into practice what he preaches, actually something changes in us. When we go that extra mile with the spring in our step and the joy in our heart, That stuff's not there to start with. But as we go, it comes. And slowly we start to change. And slowly we start to see ourselves in a different light. In Psalm 22, David says, I am a worm and not a man. It's the psalm that Jesus quotes from the cross. And it's the same Nature that Jesus has because it's, it's said of Jesus isn't he that, that he humbled himself he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but he humbled himself and he became like one of us he became a servant and all through Jesus' teaching he says I want you to be people who seek the lowest place don't position yourself at the place of honour at a table but take the lowest seat seek to be a servant of all you, we need to learn to see ourselves as people without rights to surrender that in those moments. People who hold the stuff that we have lightly with open hands, our goods and our possessions and our money and our rights and our entitlements, we hold that with open hand. That's why Jesus in this passage goes immediately on to say, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away the one who wants to borrow because these are connected. The, the heart betwi- behind a, a generous spirit is the same heart that enables us in a a moment of personal injustice to surrender our rights, to surrender what we are entitled to, our possessions and our money, and love the person who hates us. Love the person who seeks to harm us. Love the person who just pulled out of us in a road and made us break and embarrassed us. Love the person who just accused you of doing something that you didn't do. You're right, they deserve to be punished for what they've done, but Jesus says, so did you. And that's not how I've treated you. We live in this state of unforgiveness. And actually to live a life like this requires us to forgive the people who have done this to us. And to love them in return. Which is so counter to our culture. But is a great door opener for conversation. So my prayer for us is that as we uh, go home this week, that we are able to do that. That when someone accuses you of something that you haven't done, that you find a way to love them and be generous to them. When you have an argument with your spouse and you feel like a great injustice has been done, surrender your rights. Encourage them, love them, do something good for them. You're not going to feel it, but you do need to do it because it's good for you. That's what Jesus says. He wants you to have life in all its fullness. And he knows that we can't change our feelings with our willpower, but we can choose a different action and then slowly change through the process.